It has been a rainy few days, if I may say so myself. And I will. I just did. Because I have the microphone. Um, man. But it's nice to be with everyone here this morning. Uh, where is the... Uh-oh. Not in the sleeve. There we go. All right. Um, so the past several weeks, we've been covering a lot of topics intended to serve as either a refresher or an introduction, depending on personally where you're at uh, in your faith and study of Scripture, uh, to several important aspects of the religion of God, of Jesus Christ, right? Of Christianity, of the reason we're here. So we've talked about uh, God. We've talked about the existence, identity of God. We've talked about Jesus, uh, Jesus as Christ. We've talked about Scripture. We've talked about Jesus in Scripture. Uh, but one topic that we haven't really addressed in, in I think, probably fine enough detail uh, is ourselves, right? I don't think, unless I'm mistaken, I don't think we've had a lesson yet dedicated to the church. And that's what I hope to do this morning, is um, have some discussions on who we are, right? Uh, we've talked a lot about why are we here. Um, and I, I've liked, I liked, in a couple of these lessons, to like hammer home identity, right? What's the identity of God? What's the identity of Scripture? Um, but we also have to grapple with our own identity as Christians, as the church. And so that's something that I want to address this morning. Um, I'm combining a few lessons into one, so I've tried to cram some things in here, but I won't rush through it. Uh, no handout this morning either, because I wanted to make it a little more open-ended. So uh, ask me in 30 minutes whether I regret that decision. Um, but what I want to present this morning... I thought would be interesting is to talk about establishing these foundations of our faith, right, especially for someone outside of Christ, making sure we know what the church is, but also what the church isn't. There's a lot of misconceptions out there, uh, and there's also misconceptions inside. And so I think it's healthy to go back and revisit who we are, what we're doing, what's our mission. And what lies outside of the bounds of the church. Uh, and we'll get into more of that later. I'm going to alternate uh, topics here. So hopefully we can kind of get a feel for both and the direction I'm trying to go. Uh, we'll see how it goes. So I'm going to provide four topics that the church is. And then three topics that the church isn't. And this isn't an exhaustive list, obviously, um, but I thought it would be, these topics I thought would be good to address. Uh, and if you have any comments at any point or any questions, please feel free to jump in, because I, I hope, in not having a handout this morning, I hope to maybe go a little slower and stimulate some discussion. All right, so let's get into it. Uh, so understanding the church. There's a whole lot of confusion in the world. There's a whole lot of confusion in the religious world. There's a whole lot of confusion in the secular world. Um, if you ever watch uh, one of these 
uh, either like a documentary or maybe a news network, and they bring on the you know the, the experts to talk about their field. You get the the Christian expert, which is usually a Catholic priest, right? And to to a lot of people in the world, that's the church. Is this guy in the collar on TV talking about what his particular group believes? Um, particularly for people outside, I think of our region, the church is like a, a vague thing that might be represented by what they learned in history class, what they've seen on TV. And so there's a lot of misconceptions because a lot of, people's, a lot of people are not being informed by Scripture and in their daily lives they're not seeing the church that is in Scripture. They're seeing a whole lot of other things. They're seeing caricatures, they're seeing misrepresentations, they're seeing false teachings. Um, and so I think it's very important for us to be able to clear up this confusion to provide a distinction to show what the church of God, the church of Christ, Christ's church, actually is versus all the other things out there that either claim to be or claim they know what it is. And the point of this is not only for our own edification and for our own knowledge, but also for those of others to be able to teach, right? Because the whole, the whole mission we've been given is to go into all the world and teach others. And part of that involves hopefully, you know, from our perspective, those people we teach deciding to become a member of this body and to join with us in our, our mission in serving Christ. And so if they don't know what the church is and they don't know what the church looks like, they're either going to go in a different direction and join something else that might not be Christ's body or they'll be turned off of it completely because they don't understand what the church is supposed to be because what they've seen is not the church. And I, I have experienced a lot of that in my life, talking with people who have had bad experiences with what I would say is not the church, or at least it shouldn't be the church. And they're not going to come back. They're not going to try again, because what they've experienced is not what is in here. Um, and the ultimate importance of this, we'll start getting into some scripture here. You know, why does it matter if I'm in the church? Uh, to, to an outside observer, why does it matter if I'm a member of this group locally that gets together every now and then? Why can't I just go off and do my own thing? Well, we understand that salvation and the church are intertwined. If we go to Acts chapter 2, a very familiar passage. Acts chapter 2, I'm going to mention uh, verse 47, but you know, understand the context building up to this is, is Peter... Uh, and the apostles speaking on Pentecost and in the, the people responding and repenting and being baptized for the remission of their sins. But at the end of the chapter, in verse 47, it's talking about these people, this group that's now come together, um, having been baptized, joining together and worshiping, spending time together. And at the end, describing them, it says they were praising God and having favor with all the people, which to me is somewhat difficult to even imagine these days. Um, but it says the Lord was adding to their number day by day those who were being saved. And so we see that those who were being saved, the Lord was adding to this body, this group. Right? Well, what is this group? It's the group we call the church. The believers who have come together. And so there's this logical link here between if I'm saved, I'm in the church. If I'm in the church, I'm saved. These two are not synonymous, but they are conjoined. Um, and I want to also bring up, I think, an interesting 
um, illustration that I don't think we really talk about very often. Let's go to First Peter. <clears throat> there we go. First Peter, uh, chapter three. And a lot of people, I think a lot of us are very familiar with, with 1 Peter 3.21, right? Because we're talking about this illustration of Noah uh, and his family being saved uh, from the sin of the world through the flood, right? Uh, let's see. When the patience of God kept waiting in the days of Noah during the construction of the ark in which a few, that is eight persons, were brought safely through the water, corresponding to that baptism now saves you, not the removal of dirt from the flesh, but an appeal to God for a good conscience, through the resurrection of Jesus Christ. Now, we understand the symbolism of the, of the water, right? Water being baptism, the water in Noah's day wiping away sin in a more literal sense. Um, however, have you ever thought about the ark itself in, in the illustration, in the metaphor? What is the ark? Well, it's where the people that were going to be saved all collected themselves, right? That's interesting. And what I want to suggest to you there is the ark represents the church, right? All the people that were to be saved from the, from the sin of the world were in the ark together, and the door was shut eventually, right? And those who were outside faced the consequences of unforgiven sin. And so I think if we understand this illustration, we see the gravity of the church and its mission uh, and being a part of it, the importance there, that salvation comes through the church, not in a way of signing up for some group, but in a way of, if you are saved, God's added you to the role. Um, so it's not, it's not salvation through joining a group of people in a worldly sense, but that being a member of the church is automatically, it automatically occurs as you repent and are baptized for the remission of your sins. You are now a member of the church. And being a member of the church, having that sustainment is important to your spiritual life afterward. So that's why we want to understand the church. And I know this is review for a lot of you, um, but I think it's good to hammer it home to get a good perspective before we get into the, the meat of the lesson um, and also to help talk to others and convey that importance as well. All right, so the first point I want to bring up is the church is a building. And a lot of you are going to say, no, 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 I paid attention in Bible class. I've heard this a hundred times. The church is not a building. What are you saying? And to that I say, yes, good job. But that's not what I'm getting at, and that's not what the Scripture is getting at. The church is not the building, right? We know that. Although, if we want to get into some nuance, there is a, the, the original Greek word, or not Greek, sorry, German word that became English church actually referred to the building, but we understand that the church reference in Scripture is not a physical building. The church reference in Scripture is the people. So then how come I say that the church is a building? Well, because Paul says it. If we go to 1 Corinthians chapter 3, Paul is speaking about the church. Starting in uh, verse 10, 1 Corinthians 3, verse 10, he says, According to the grace of God which was given to me, like a wise master builder, I laid a foundation, and another is building on it. But each man must be careful how he builds on it. For no man can lay a foundation other than the one which is laid, which is Jesus Christ. 
Now, if any man builds on the foundation with gold, silver, precious stones, wood, hay, straw, each man's work will become evident, for the day will show it because it is to be revealed with fire, and the fire itself will test the quality of each man's work. If any man's work which he has built on it remains, he will receive a reward. If any man's work is burned up, he will suffer loss, but he himself will be saved, yet so as through fire." Do you not know that you are a temple of God and that the Spirit of God dwells in you? If any man destroys the temple of God, God will destroy him, for the temple of God is holy, and that is what you are. Now, that's the type of building that I'm trying to convey this morning. We're not talking about the physical structure in which we meet. We're talking about a figurative building. Okay? That's what Paul is describing here. He's, he's using this comparison for the church to describe his work. Because he says, I laid a foundation. Okay, what, what was that foundation? It was the teaching of Christ, right? It was the truth of Jesus Christ. The foundation of what? Of this church. He's speaking to the Corinthians, right? He built a foundation with them as he did in the cities that he went to when he was starting up churches, local congregations. You have to start with a foundation. The foundation is Christ. Well, what do you do after that? You have to keep building. And that includes training up leadership. That includes going out and teaching and converting others and teaching others to teach. Uh, that includes engaging with the community around you so that you can teach. Uh, there's a whole lot of building that goes into a church, as many of you know. Um, and so Paul is using this illustration of, of, of starting from a foundation and raising up a building to illustrate the work that he's had to do and the work that others have done as well. So, I want to pose a question uh, based on my reading of, of this text. Is the church already built? Yes or no? So the church has come. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. But from this passage, we will continue building with uh, on the basis of our life. Okay. So, so this answer is the church is continually being built, even though it's been established. It's not like it hasn't been started yet, but it's still being built. Okay, does anyone have the opposing perspective? Maybe I overestimated the... Uh, the challenge of this question, because that's kind of where I lie too, is, of course, the church has been established. Christ is the cornerstone. He's the foundation. That's been laid. It's been laid for thousands of years. But I think it's interesting to think about the church continually being built over time and that we have a role to play. And I guess the, the question here is, in this, in this section here, are the only ones who can build upon it the apostles? I don't think that's the case. I think from what we read in the New Testament and the examples we see, I think all of us have a role to play in building the church. And that includes teaching and converting people. That includes uh, leading various efforts uh, through you know, deacons ministries or, or whatever it may be to get things done. That includes you know, outreach acts of service. Uh, internally, that includes teaching, right? Teaching our own members, teaching our children. I think there's a lot that goes into that. And we're building on the foundation. If we stray from the foundation, then we're no longer 
you know, in, in good territory. We're now in a dangerous position where the building could collapse. But from what I see and from what I read, I think it's interesting to think about how there was a foundation that was laid thousands of years ago, and the people that have come before us have built upon that foundation. And we come along, and there's already some, some stuff there built, but we continue it, right? We come to the job site, and there's already a building that's, that's being raised up, and we join in, and we build as well, and we contribute as that continues to be built up over time. Eventually it will be completed, and that's for God to decide. But I think, I don't know, I feel like it's, it's just an encouraging idea that we are participating in a project that was started by you know, these, at least from our perspective, these spiritual titans and leaders in, in Scripture that we read about, that we're working the same work they did. And they might not have viewed themselves that way, but it's hard for us not to, you know, based on, on reading of them. Anyway, um, and so that's, that's what I was thinking. Yeah. Sure. Uh, what was that verse? Uh, Ephesians 2, starting at verse 21. Ephesians 2:21 and following. Yeah, in whom the whole building being fitted together is growing into a holy temple. Again, we see the temple analogy too, which was at the end of the, the Corinthians reading. Yes. <coughs> Sorry. Mm-hmm. We're a living house. Mm-hmm. And we, of we don't want to die. You know, we don't want to fade off. But we are continuing living and spiritually growing and offering those sacrifices and doing those type things that you said the church does. Right. Yeah, and uh, I guess anyone who, who owns or has owned a house knows that it's never quite finished, right? You've always got more work that's there to be done. Um, Mm-hmm. Because the church's people, mm-hmm. our mission is to help as many as we can come to Christ and to know salvation through them. And if they had just built their little church and then it never did anything else, there would be no more people. So just as you maintain your home and you take care of your buildings, this is how we do this for Christ, mm-hmm. is that we Right, and I think the interesting thing is, I think you've hit on two different, um, but all but both important aspects. One where the church is similar, and one where the church is different. 
is that the church, first of all, requires maintenance, right? Spiritual maintenance, personal maintenance. We have to maintain each other in a way, keep us out of disrepair. But also the church continues to grow, which is not something you normally associate with a building. And so there's this upkeep portion of it where we are continually uh, holding ourselves accountable, helping each other to grow, but also there's this growth aspect where we're not satisfied with being three stories tall or whatever it may be. We've got to continue growing. There's no, if we stop growing, then we stop living. There's this organic quality to the church. Yeah, I think that actually, that reminds me of a few things. I'm thinking back, Allison, to that building we saw in Sparta last weekend. Do you remember by the restaurant that had that that different colored stone at the edge? And it said this building established this year and then updated this year. And then, you know, it had a, a history of what had been done to the building over time. But they left that one stone there and engraved the history while they had done the updates. And I also think when I, when I was down at Auburn, I believe it was, was Sanford Hall, like the main you know, building on campus. It has a cornerstone that, that mentions you know, the original name of the university and the year and everything. And I think that's an interesting point, is that the cornerstone holds the history, right? The cornerstone's been there since the beginning. The foundation's been there since the beginning. Um, and from that, you learn where you came from. Mm-hmm. Right. And if it's removed, everything else falls upon it. All right. Good discussion. Um, unless we have any more comments, I'm going to move into the next one. Yeah, there's a lot of there's a lot of history to take in. There's a lot that's inherited, you know, by who we are that we inherit this. Right. Yeah, you got to start somewhere. <laughs> and the interesting thing is, too, I guess I might be throwing off a little bit here, but in life, I think as in the church, 
You learn your basics when you're young, when you're immature. And I'm not saying that just as a child, but as a child of God, just coming into the church. There are some things that you kind of have to like, you know, suspend your questions for later to kind of get the basics down. But as you grow, you get to look back at the stuff you learned at the beginning and question it. And then you get to challenge it, and then you get to learn it for yourself, right? You've got to build up some of your basics so that you have a platform from which to do your study. But after that, you get to look back where you started, and you get to challenge it for yourself. And that's where the real growth comes. Chris, yes. Moved, yes. Um, when you were talking about the art. The art, yes. Yeah, I think I feel like I've heard a lesson similar to that before. That sounds familiar, the plumb line thing. I feel like I've heard something like that. Right. And I like I like the point about us having a blueprint, right? We're not having to figure it out on our own totally, right? I mean that's up to us a little bit, but Right. He's always given us instruction. Right. And we've got to know our place to follow. That's, that's the pride of it. Good point. Alright, so here's my first knot. The church is not a social club. Um, I think a lot of people in the world treat it as such. Is that the, the church is an outlet for me to go and see people... Uh, scratch that extroverted itch of spending time around folks and talking to them and all those other exhausting things. Um, a lot of people treat it as such, is that, okay, I'm, I'm getting together and I'm getting my fill of people. I have friends there because I don't have friends maybe elsewhere. And then that's what I do, right? Um, and I want to make, all. I think all three of these knots, I'm going to have a caveat while I'm talking that, okay, yes, there's a social aspect to the church. I do not want to give you the false impression that there is not a social aspect to the church. We are people. We are God has created us to be social, to spend time together, to get to know each other, to speak with each other and share things with each other. That is definitely an aspect of the church. But that is not the church's primary role. And that's where I want to make the distinction. Um... Because there are aspects to a social club that the church should not manifest. Okay? So the first thing I want to make the point is we have a mission beyond pure fellowship. If you're in a social club, the point is to get together and talk and hang out, spend time together, and then go home, and that's it. We have a mission beyond that. 
as the church. We have a purpose beyond just coming together and being together. While that is a good thing, and it's healthy for us to do so, we also have a job to do. And that's not what you get in something like a social club. They might take on projects, but you know the difference. That we've been charged by God to go out and to do things. Um, not just to come together and spend time together. Um, so there's a few aspects that I want to make sure we understand of social clubs that do not apply to the church. First of all is the exclusivity in the sense of us picking who can join and who can't. The church is exclusive, but that's determined by God, right? The, the church is exclusive in the sense that God has instructions on how to join the church. He has instructions on remaining faithful and staying a faithful member of the church. But he does not have a checklist for physical qualities, social qualities, intellectual qualities, financial qualities for membership. Okay? Um, think about a country club, right? You're going to join a country club, you're going to have to pay for it. Not everybody can do that. That's exclusive. That's not the exclusive that the church should be. Okay? Um, the church should not be a place where you have to take on a persona that is not yourself beyond trying to change your life to imitate Christ. That's the standard, not any earthly measure um, that we would be tempted to use as people use elsewhere in the world. Um, and there's a few things that we do that's not done in those types of organizations. Uh, for example, Hebrews chapter 10, verses 24 and 25. Uh, let's see. Let us consider how to stimulate one another to love and good deeds, not forsaking our own assembling together, as is the habit of some, but encouraging one another, and all the more as ye see the day drawing near. Now, this verse is often used to talk about church attendance in, in the way of showing up at particular times for particular events. And I think that's relevant, but only from a, a secondary consequence, right? Because I think the primary purpose here is we're not neglecting each other because we have a purpose in building each other up, in keeping each other accountable, uh, in encouraging one another. Those are things that we do. Those are things that, that we're charged to do. And that involves keeping up with, with each other's lives, you know, understanding what's going on, um, the trials that you may be facing, um, the struggles that you may have. It's also on us to, to share those things and not exclude people. You don't see that in a worldly social club unless it's like, you know, very voluntary but from, from a specific person who might decide they want to do that. That's not part of expectations of these types of things, um, of looking out for each other in a spiritual and moral sense. So that's one part of it. Uh, the other part, I want to go to Matthew chapter 28. Matthew 28, 18 through 20. A familiar passage. Matthew 28, 18 through 20. Go, oh, let's see. And Jesus came up and spoke to them, saying, All authority has been given to me in heaven and on earth. Go therefore and make disciples of all the nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, 
teaching them to observe all that I commanded you, and lo, I am with you always, even to the end of the age. As I said before, we have a mission. Uh, we have a mission to reach out to others, to convert others, to teach them about Christ so that they have the opportunity to respond to that invitation. And again, that's not something you see in a social club. Uh, you might see incentives to get someone else to sign up. Uh, if you've ever had like a TV service or an internet service or something, they'll, they might offer you money to refer a friend because they want to build their business. But that's not what we're talking about here. We're talking about reaching out to others so that hopefully they join us, not for our benefit necessarily, but for their own benefit, and of course, you know, on behalf of, of God and on behalf of Christ. And so if the church were merely a social club, these, these missions would not be part of that. They would not be so foundational uh, to what we're here to do. Well, the social club aspect, if that's what the church was, is we'd get together, we'd spend time, we'd talk, we'd, we'd eat, probably, because we're all very good at, at getting together and eating, and that would be the end of it, right? In a church whose only form of fellowship is eating a meal together is not, I think, fully experiencing this aspect that, that God has designed as part of the church. Again, that's not to say they're not good things, but I don't think they're good things that that's all that we're doing. If that makes sense. I think there's a unifying principle behind what you're saying. Everything, and I belong to some social clubs, including a fraternity. Uh, whenever you're recruiting for a social club, the question is, how will this person benefit the group? Mm. That's what you're always looking for. Is this guy going to make us... Ways on academic standards, is he going to contribute in a monetary way? Those are all legitimate considerations for a social club. The church isn't supposed to look at potential new members that way. Uh, the way we're supposed to look at it is, will this person being added to the church serve God? And of course, any lost soul that adds to the church does that and accomplishes our mission. And so I think it's primarily the focus on membership and the members as Yeah, I think it's a good point. I'll give you another one in a slightly different language, but I think some people will probably understand. Think about uh, college sports, right? Recruiting. You're going out and you're getting people that you think help your team, right? You're looking for qualities in those people that make your job easier or your job better or make you look better. The church is the opposite because we're offering something to people. The membership is not something that we are seeking them to improve us. We are helping, hoping, helping, hoping to help to improve them. We're hoping to bring membership to those people to benefit their lives because we have something to offer, not because they have something to offer us. And I think that is the difference, is, is how do you view membership? Is it something that benefits you and makes you better or something that makes them better and benefits them? Right, yeah, any, any criteria that we would use, and, and even then, it's not really us using it, it's God, right? The, the criteria for membership of the church is in this book. If it's not in this book, 
then I have no business telling someone they can't join. Right? It's very natural. Is there a malicious intent behind any of the times when we maybe think about the social club aspect of the church? We never sit down and say, yeah, I prepare a church because I want to be a social club. But still, sometimes that's how we approach it right. in our actions. Yeah, spoiler alert for, for the rest of this lesson. Um, anytime I bring up a not, it's something that I believe if I asked any of you point blank, you would agree with me, but that all of us can fall into unknowingly. Right, those are things that we have to reflect on. We have to do examine ourselves. We have to continually see, okay, are we the type of people that are not falling into this trap? Right? Because it's a very natural thing. Very natural. Uh, that's why the church is so unique, is because we're trying to overcome that natural inclination. That's been a challenge over the past year, right? Some of us have been lacking that social aspect because we haven't been able to get to spend time with the saints, right? So I think we've learned in the past year how important that social aspect really is. But it's not the only thing. Mm-hmm. Thank <laughs> you. 